Life Audio. Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I am your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, I wanted to take a look at the topic of faith and reason. Faith and reason. And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. Everyone wants to change the world. Capital Ministries is doing just that, one heart at a time by creating disciples of Jesus Christ among political leaders in the U.S. and foreign nations. For more than 25 years, founder Ralph Drawlinger has written Bible studies specifically for public servants. Study along with us and learn what the Bible says about capitalism, communism, abortion, same-sex marriage, and other contemporary issues. Subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search Capital Ministries on your favorite podcast platform. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. When we talk about reason, uh, for many people in the world, they have falsely assumed that just because you are Christian, you have to check your brains at the door. They see a conflict between having faith in God and the ability to be logical or rational. Where they see a conflict, we as believers know there is no conflict. We see there's two modes of discipline which are complementary and not contradictory. For us, faith requires that we trust something or someone implicitly, even if we don't uh, have visible evidence or physical or, or scientific evidence that seems to corroborate it. Something can still be true without science being able to verify it. Science is only as good as the ability for our five senses to ascertain what's going on. So there are things that exist outside of our five senses. Uh, there are things that we know are in operation in this existence that exist outside of the five senses, such as things such as God. You can't prove God by just looking at our senses. You can't prove prayer exists by 
putting it in a test tube or taking it to a scientific lab. Angels, ontology, beingness, this discipline exists outside of the physical realm. So where we do believe in physics as Christians, because God created science, we also do not restrict God because of the other realm that he's exposed to us. If you believe prayer works, that's part of metaphysics. If you believe in the soul, the spirit, that's part of metaphysics. You, you can't argue that or, or the existence of those things in a scientific lab because they both serve in different spheres of disciplines. So when it comes to God, he is the object of the Christian faith. In other words, Christians believe in what is written in the Bible because of God. True. Uh, I believe in the true claims of the scriptures, even when I didn't have all the answers to my questions. That's what faith is about. This is not to say that Christians should adopt the concept of blind faith. We're not saying that, that uh, we should just have blind faith. Blind faith infers that we should believe even if there's no object or perfect trust. We're not saying that. On the contrary, Christians can have faith in God because of who he, who he is and because of what he's already done. He is perfect. He is just. So as a result, he is trustworthy. The Bible says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And that is found in Hebrews 11 and 1. Through my years of evangelism and theological research, I have formulated a working definition of faith. Uh, Faith is belief in the present and future promises of God based on what he has already done in the past. It should not be too difficult to trust God when we look at what he's already accomplished in the past. Um, again, it should not be too difficult to trust God when we look at what he has already done in the past. Many Christians, while placing their faith or trust in God, have been able to overcome many obstacles. Um, moreover, faith and reason, when we look at it, when we analyze it, are really not exclusive or mutually exclusive uh, or contradictory as some argue. On the contrary, the ability to reason both deductively as well as inductively should complement our trust in God. Christians in the early church were able to put their faith in action by being able to reason their point or argue their point. The word reason is used several times in the Bible. The Greek word for reason is dialogomaia. Dialogomaia. And it means to discuss thoroughly by the method of debate or argumentation. Early Christian forerunners, such as St. Ignatius of Antioch, Polycarp, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian of of, uh, Africa, Athanasius, Augustine of Hippo, which is in Africa, Gregory the Great, Ansem, Bonaventure, Thomas Aquinas, John Don Scotus, and William Ockham 
have left us a legacy of faith completed with reason. The church leaders were able to articulate the reasons for why they um, adopted or embraced certain views. Many uh, issues, both internally and externally, were addressed through the process of reason while still having faith in God. Their faith became keys to developing and formulating epistemological methods, establish philosophies, illuminate metaphysical concepts, and discover scientific inquiries. That's what their faith allowed them to do. They didn't see that there was a conflict between them being smart and also loving God. So we want to argue the glaring evidence of faith along with reason in the lives of, of uh, some of Christ, uh, our Christian patriarchs, those who came before us in the early church, and the, uh, the thought processes that they, they use to argue for God and faith at the same time. In contemporary times, um, some people only believe in scientism. Scientism is the belief that truth can only be verified through scientific means, and that's false. We as Christians, we reject scientism. We're not against science because we know that God created science, but we're talking about the philosophical uh, worldview of scientism, even though it shared the same name because it deals with a false view of science. It's not what we as Christians believe. The average believer can no longer articulate, unfortunately, in many churches all around the world, uh, the average layperson can no longer articulate nor defend the apostles' doctrine. So uh, we as believers need to get back to studying. We need to be ready to give each man and woman an answer or reason for the hope that lies within us according to 1 Peter 3.15. And then in Titus 1 and 9, we uh, learn that we are to hold fast to the trustworthy message that God has already given us. So let us take a look at some of these um, patriarchs. For example, St. Ignatius of Antioch. St. Ignatius of Antioch, who lived uh, in the first century, um, he was bishop of Antioch. And he is historically believed to be a disciple of the apostle John. Ignatius lived during a time when Christians were being persecuted. However, instead of retreating from the challenge, he decided to stand for truth. His faith in God motivated him to write seven letters in an attempt to clarify doctrinal issues. He wrote about heresy, strife within the church, and church policy or, or, or polemic. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, 
You can listen to daily devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app. Despite the Roman Emperor Trajan's persecution of Christians, Ignatius never buckled under the pressure. His faith in God allowed him to stand with boldness even after being sentenced to death for believing in Jesus. Hostility did not intimidate him. He continued to write concerning church system and governance. So there are those um, who forget that God uh, has blessed us not only to walk by faith, but to do uh, things in this life that demonstrate that he's a God of order. So for the believer, it's not uh, acceptable to say we love Jesus, but we don't know how to organize ourselves. It's not acceptable to say we love Jesus and we are uh, in, in, in chaos. Um, our finances are in chaos. Our homes are in chaos. Our business dealings are in chaos. Our jobs are in chaos. No, the believer is able to trust and love God while still showing others that God allows us to be disciplined enough to handle our finances wisely. We, we, we are good stewards. God uh, loves us enough to uh, allow us to have faith in him where he by teaches us how to handle our money, how to save, how to spend, how to organize our time, how to uh, bless others. We find that in Jesus. So it shouldn't be a dichotomy between loving God and being a good scientist and being a good employee, being a good um, entrepreneur, being a good businessman or woman. It's, it shouldn't be contradictory. But if we find a believer who says they love the Lord, but yet doesn't have control of their finances, they will be found wanting and God is going to hold them accountable. Or a believer who claims to love God, but not willing to do everything they need to do to better themselves, they're found wanting and God is going to hold them accountable. So there shouldn't be any conflict, especially when it comes to topics such as faith and science. There's no conflict. Again, some of the best scientists uh, or early leaders in the development of science were believers. So Ignatius wrote letters exposing the teachings of docetism. Those who were docetists believed Christ came only as a spiritual being. But again, Ignatius uh, knew that that was heretical and he fought against this. They did not believe Christ ever had a material body. That's, that's part of Gnosticism as well. Ignatius, instead of turning away from this challenge, he disputed with the uh, docetists using philosophy and logic. Ignatius reasoned through his letters that Jesus indeed had a physical body. In other words, he argued that Jesus was both human and divine. Again, his faith in God motivated him to speak out against false teaching through reason, through logic.
Ignatius also wrote concerning the role of the bishop. He wanted all Christians to obey and respect the office of the bishop. Earl Kearns, right? He, Ignatius, was the first to place the office of the bishop in contrast with the office of the presbyter and to subordinate the presbyter or elders to the monarchical bishop and the members of the church to both. The hierarchy of authority in the church is, according to him, um, talking by Ignatius, bishops, presbyter, and deacons. It was the intent of the Ignatius to articulate a hierarchical order for the church to maintain in order to foster unity through structure. The Apostle James writes, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James 2 and 17. This scripture is actualized in the life of Ignatius. His faith propelled him to not only write to reproof, but to edify the church as well as to defend the faith. We're now living in a world where many people confess to be Christians, but their faith is not coupled with their action by the method of reasoning. Now, Ignatius, uh, as we talk about him, on the other hand, was able to logically process the inerrant or errant views, rather, of the docetists and develop a kind of argument to, uh, argument to refute their doctrine. Furthermore, through his faith in God and the word of God, he was able to pro- uh, propose a hierarchical structure for the church to follow in an attempt to establish unity uh, uh, for church governance. Ignatius' philosophy was in- independent of others' views. He did not borrow from any of his contemporaries. His views were both profound as well as unique. He was the first to use the term Catholic to describe the ecclesia. Catholicism, as we know it today, owes a lot to the work of Ignatius in terms of his good works and the doctrines that are in sync with Scripture. Then we can take a look at Tertullian. Tertullian lived from um, 160 A.D. to 230 A.D. approximately. He was one of the early church apologists, again, uh, called by God to minister in Africa. Due to his faith in God, he wrote letters to encourage uh, defending and unifying the church. Tertullian is credited with coming up with the term Trinitas in Latin in order to explain the principle which already existed in the Bible, the word um, Trinity, as we see it in the English, uh, come, came from uh, Tertullian's usage of the word Trinitas. He is also purported to be one of the first to use the word persona in his writings when explaining the Trinitarian concept of, of God in three persons. So, again, we owe a lot to him in terms of coming up with a verbiage that we all can use to describe the doctrine that already exists in the Bible. Millions of Christians today use the word Trinity when talking about the triune God, but they have no idea that it was due to Tertullian, who came up again with the language for us. Tertullian's faith moved him to study and write literature during an unpleasant time for Christians. He lived during a period when the Roman government was constantly persecuting believers. Rome's interest was to protect the state or the republic and any movement or religion that appeared to uh, go against the stability of the republic. As Christians 
uh, as Christianity started to grow and blossom, many in the Roman Empire became concerned. They were fearful that this new movement would become problematic. So as a result, many Christians were harassed and killed. It is within this backdrop that Tertullian is credited with coming up with the statement, the blood of Christian is seed of the church. The blood of Christian uh, of Christian is the blood of the church. Tertullian's faith in God was his impetus, but using reason was his method in declaring God's doctrine, declaring God's doctrine. He was one of the best apologists during this era. His work dealing with theological doctrines proved invaluable to the modern church. He wrote about issues ranging from the deity of, de- deity of Christ to those dealing with infant baptism. In his book, All the Doctrines of the Bible, Herbert Lockyer writes, he writes this about Tertullian. Tertullian of Carthage strongly denounced infant baptism, which was just beginning to, uh, to grow and become popular for the sensible reason that the child may afterward give up all his faith when he develops a view of his own. So basically, uh, Tertullian is saying that um, if a child is being baptized and that child does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, when they get older, they may develop their own views, thus nullifying the act of baptism. And baptism really doesn't uh, make us save or uh, doesn't make us uh, to become Christians. Baptism is a ceremonial act of what's, what's already transpired on the inside. So you can baptize someone who's not a Christian, but they'll still remain a sinner. So what's the most important thing in terms of baptism is you have somebody who's been converted, someone who's confessed Christ as the Lord and Savior, and once that person is saved, then they go through the ceremonial act of baptism. It is evident that Tertullian was a thinker. His faith in God prompted, it prompted him to address certain issues which were vital to the well-being of Christians. In his writings concerning Tertullian, Jesuit author Frederick Copperstein writes, one of the greatest services rendered by Tertullian in Christian thought was his development of theological and, to some extent, philosophical terminologies in the Latin tongue. In other words, Tertullian did not see a contradiction between his faith and reason. His faith led him to reason and write down concise and coherent manuscripts concerning theological and general philosophical issues. So, for the Christian, we got the best of both worlds. We love God. And we know how to be smart. We know how to philosophize. We know how to utilize logic. We know how to be a good business person. We know how to um, respond from a godly worldview. We as Christians have the best of both worlds. We know God. We love God. And we have access to not just general revelation, but special revelation. So, uh, despite... All of his astounding scholarship, Tertullian surprised many within the church when he became a Montanist and left the church in uh, the third century. Montanism, founded by Montanists, uh, who preached that he was the vehicle by which God was speaking through, just like the Holy Spirit. Again, he was a heretic. 
He also, we talking about maintenance, he forbade his followers to remarry if their spouses died. He preached strict asceticism and diet of dry foods. As maintenance grew, the church decided to take action. And in the fourth century, church leaders congregated in Constantinople and declared maintenance uh, and his doctrine as pagan heresy. Um, however, in spite of the church's stance, Tertullian still became a Montanist uh, in its late uh, years. Uh, it would be easy to criticize Tertullian for his action, but it's always important to consider all the factors. Uh, one may even go as far as saying his, him embracing Montanism is tantamount to treason. Some out of ignorance may even say he was no longer saved after accepting Montanism. It is my aim, it's not my aim to defend Tertullian's Montanist beliefs, uh, but I do believe that Tertullian uh, helped to push uh, the apologetical doctrine of God in his early years forward. And so his contributions uh, should not be neglected. I am also not trying to expose some of his uh, or trying to promote this inerrant or I'm in this errant view of Montanism. My goal is simply to demonstrate how faith and reason uh, can work in the life of the believer. We can learn some valuable lessons from the early Christians. It is uh, apparent that they were interested in distinguishing between sound and false doctrine. Moreover, they were uh, not interested in being politically correct like some of us. Despite the threats from Rome uh, to uh, to execute them, they put their faith in God. Rome wanted Christians to do certain things that violated scripture. Early Christians chose instead to obey the true and living God who's not made with hands. They set a biblical precedent for all Christianity. As Christians, they believe in the rules uh, of following the, state, the, the, uh, the rules of the state as long as it did not violate a divine mandate. So meaning uh, that... They believe in following the rules unless the rules, uh, man's rules, violates God's rules. So I pray that this introduction into faith and reason has been of benefit to you. Uh, Please continue to contact us with your testimonials and continue to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. You can give by going on our website, srministries.org. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. Everyone wants to change the world. Capital Ministries is doing just that, one heart at a time by creating disciples of Jesus Christ among political leaders in the U.S. and foreign nations. For more than 25 years, founder Ralph Drawlinger has written Bible studies specifically for public servants. Study along with us and learn what the Bible says about capitalism, communism, abortion, same-sex marriage, and other contemporary issues. Subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search Capital Ministries on your favorite podcast platform.